Good afternoon or good morning, wherever you may be in the world, and welcome to today's webinar on the role of an information commissioner. In this digital age, information and data are highly valuable and sought after by genuine businesses and bad actors, with the risks and consequences of data theft potentially disastrous with serious long-term implications. But fortunately, for those in Jersey anyway, we have Paul Vane here with us today, who is Information Commissioner for Jersey. Paul will explain the role of the regulator in this important field, the responsibilities and requirements for both business and individuals, and the growing importance of data protection for all of us and our rights as individuals. Paul has extensive experience in the regulatory and law enforcement environment and led the Office of the Information Commissioner through the landmark GDPR transition, so is incredibly well placed to brief us today and answer our questions. Paul has also worked in financial services regulation for the Jersey Financial Services Commission and before that as a police officer, so no doubt he is very tough with non-compliance. Before I leave you in Paul's very capable hands, I have some brief housekeeping points for those who are new to our webinars. I'm Charlotte Dorbrashley and I manage the FS Club here at ZN. And I would like to warmly acknowledge our very generous sponsors who enable us to continue to bring you a wide range of thought-provoking content across finance, technology and economics. The slides for this presentation will be publicly available on our website and in the chat box. The session will be recorded and available to watch on our website within 48 hours and we will be holding a 20-minute Q&A session after Paul's presentation. So please use the GoToWebinar chat facility to send your questions in to me so I can feed them into the conversation. Now, it's my pleasure to hand over to you, Paul. Uh, thank you, Charlotte, and, um, and good afternoon and welcome to, to this slightly different webinar where I'm going to attempt in the, the very short time that I have with you uh, today to tell you about what I do in my role as Information Commissioner for the Island of Jersey. But before we start, I thought I'd pose the question to you directly. What do you think an Information Commissioner does? Uh, now, you, I understand there's a, a poll facility and you can use that to select your answer and I'll be really interested to, uh, to know what you think I do. Um, and there's five options you've got there. Um, firstly, uh, an Information Commissioner is the custodian for everyone's personal data or you can choose option two, which is uh, an information commissioner is a government department and regulates the private sector. Uh, number three is an information commissioner is the final arbiter in disputes between public sector bodies and individuals. Uh, number four, an information commissioner is the independent public authority that regulates information rights laws. And number five, an information commissioner is the mediator in all disputes between businesses and individuals. Uh, I'm really interested to hear what, uh, what you think I do. I might be relying on you, Charlotte, just to, uh, to read the poll results out when they come through. Thanks, Paul. We'll just leave that up there to allow everyone to answer. Um, they're usually pretty fast. Um, right, we're, we're, they're up now. Can you, can you see them on your end there, Paul? Uh, I can't. So overwhelmingly, 75% um, of the audience thought that the public, it's the public authority that regulates information rights laws. Um, and then 19% thought government department that regulates the private sector, with 6% thinking it's the custodian of everyone's personal data. So are those 75% right? <laughs> They're absolutely bang on. Um, that's exactly what we do. Um, we're not a government department and we are an independent uh, public authority and we re regulate uh, two um, sets of information rights, one under data protection law and one under freedom of information law. Um, so that's, that's our, our general remit. 
Now, when I was first asked to speak on uh, on this subject, I have, have to confess, um, I thought I'd find the preparation quite easy, um, but I was actually quite mistaken because this is probably the first time I've ever taken a, a step back and, and taken a close look at the role I perform under a microscope. And for me, being an information commissioner is just something I do, and it's, it's something I'm deeply passionate about. It's been a, a huge part of my lifelong career aim to make a difference to people's lives. And I guess I've always had that ambition in me to want to help people. So you might be wondering why then I didn't become a doctor or a paramedic or something like that. But I, I can assure you, I didn't wake up one day and say to myself, I'm gonna go and protect people's personal data as a career. Um, 30 years ago, when I left school, I can safely say I'd never even heard of the term uh, data protection. So when I look, at, look back at, uh, across my career path, it's easy to see um, that I've always worked in some kind of regulatory role. I left school halfway through my A-levels to become a police officer with the States of Jersey Police. Um, I trained in um, the UK at Ashford Police Training College and embarked on what I initially intended to be a, a full career as a police officer. But what really fascinated me more was, was being an investigator. I really enjoyed digging deep into a case, uncovering evidence uh, and ensuring, ensuring that justice was done fairly and with all the facts properly considered. But the trouble with me was I was always quite impatient as well, and the doors to a career in, in criminal investigation didn't open quick enough for me. So I decided it was time for, for a career change. So I left the police and became a, a policy and legal manager with the Jersey Financial Services Commission, and then moved into a compliance manager role uh, a couple of years later. And I really enjoyed that regulatory side of what I was doing. But to be truthful, financial services was definitely not for me. Um, the, the legal framework over here, I found particularly complex and, um, and coming from a background of policing, um, it was way outside my comfort zone. But in 2004, an opportunity arose to enter the world of data protection. And I'd never really given this area much thought. And like most people, I guess, I used to think that data protection was all about computers or perhaps just as boring as health and safety. But as I started preparing for uh, the interview and I learned a little bit more about data protection and what it meant, I began to realize that actually this was something that was far more interesting than I thought and much, much broader in scope than I had appreciated. Um, there was so much to it. And I knew very quickly that this is something I wanted to know more about. So I simply had to, to get the job. And luckily enough, um, I secured the role of data uh, Deputy Data Protection Registrar, as it was then known. And then in 2005, that title changed to Deputy Data Protection Commissioner following the implementation of our 2005 data protection law. And then it changed again in 2015 when the office was also given freedom of information law to regulate and I became Deputy Information Commissioner. And back then we were only a very small team of four people. So it, as it had been really since I, I joined, but GDPR was on the horizon and I knew that we were gonna be in for some big changes. So in 2018, I acted up as information commissioner while a new commission, uh, information commissioner was being sought. Uh, and then at the end of my predecessor's term, I applied for, for the job and was lucky enough to be promoted to the position of information commissioner uh, just over a year ago. So what does being an information commissioner involve? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say is that it involves wearing multiple hats. There's obviously the, the, the policing element of the role of a regulator, 
uh, I have to ensure that businesses and organisations are complying with data protection law, and I have to ensure that public sector bodies are complying with freedom of information law. But paradoxically, there's also a social worker element to the role, not only with regard to the victims of data breaches or complainants, but also to my team members who may be experiencing difficulties in their, their home life, which could have an impact upon their work. And of course, I have an enforcement hat where I have to consider what sanctions, if any, should be applied to a, a data controller if they breach the law or neglect their obligations in terms of, of data protection law. And I'm also a mediator, um, mediating between a complainant and a business or between politicians or government and industry uh, to secure the best outcome for both parties uh, without having to resort to some of the more punitive sanctions, which may not really help the complainant. Sometimes all, all they want is uh, an apology. Collaboration is a huge part of my role, working with numerous stakeholders to achieve the best outcomes for Jersey citizens, and I'm going to talk more about that shortly. Uh, I have to be uh, a good communicator uh, to get our important um, messages across, not only to those who look to me for guidance on, on the application of the law, but also to in influence those who write the law. I need to get the best out of my incredibly talented team so i have to be motivated too which means having to coach and mentor them and provide them with the tools that they need to do their jobs to the best of their abilities and that means also sometimes being a problem solver and being there for them when they need to draw upon my experience and, and knowledge of data protection law and practice i also have a wider ambassadorial role representing jersey internationally and of course i have a leadership hat as the CEO of a public authority. Now, sometimes I may be wearing one hat, sometimes I might be wearing all of them at once, and every day is different, but I'll have to select the appropriate hat for the circumstances. Now, hand in hand with all those different hats I have to wear comes leadership. Um, obviously, I'm a, uh, a, a CEO of this organization. I lead a team of um, 20 staff at the moment, um, so, so leading that team is a job in itself and a big part of my role is about setting the direction of the organisation, planning for the future and having a, a clear vision of where we want to be. And you might not think that a regulatory authority needs a vision like a commercial enterprise. Our job is just to regulate the law and make sure organisations don't, don't misuse personal data, isn't it? But yeah, that sure is a part of it, but it's a whole lot more too. I have to think very carefully about how we go about protecting our future generations in this dig digital age. How are we going to adapt to emerging technologies? How are we going to enforce the law? How are we going to engage with the community? How am I going to motivate and educate the public to take greater responsibility for their own privacy? How am I going to make sure that the community has a, a robust and effective regulator uh, to protect them? And how am I going to get the best from my team and ensure that they are suitably skilled to do their jobs and achieve our goals? And finally, how am I going to influence the policymakers of what future regulation should look like? And those are just a, a few of the daily questions I need to be asking myself as information commissioner to ensure that we have a clear roadmap of where we need to be getting to. And most importantly, how we're going to get there. Now, I talked before uh, about collaboration and the importance of um, managing those numerous stakeholders uh, that I have uh, and certainly in my view collaboration and stakeholder management is absolutely key to the success of my role 
as an information commissioner and key to ensuring that the entire island community is working together to achieve the same goal of protecting the public because after all that's what we're here for and as information commissioner there is a vast network of stakeholders i need to keep happy and keep informed and engaged and on side as part of that process whether that's politicians to the media from local government to businesses from our own authority to the staff within uh, or from international data protection regulators to the uh, very people that we serve to protect so starting with our own authority i may well be the information commissioner but the jersey office of the information commissioner that i lead is actually overseen by a, a, a kind of a board of sorts known as the the jersey data protection authority or jdpa and they have a a statutory remit under the Data Protection Authority Jersey Law 2018 with specific statutory functions, most of which are, are delegated down to me as a non-voting de facto member of the JDPA. I'm employed by the JDPA, who themselves bring with them a wide range of experience and skills, some in data protection and some in other areas such as finance and governance. And they are there to support me as the CEO or information commissioner in, in this instance. But they also have the power to fine organisations for breaches of the law, something I can't do without their, uh, their approval. Another important stakeholder is our politicians, collectively known as the State's Assembly. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jersey, but Jersey began to govern itself back in um, 1204 when the King of England lost mainland Normandy to King Philippe Auguste of France. However, the King kept the Channel Islands and allowed them to govern themselves under what's called a bailiwick system. He issued the constitutions of King John, saying islanders could elect their 12 best men. Uh, and these 12 men are, are known as jurats. They include uh, women as well now, thankfully. Uh, and along with the bailiff, they formed the uh, Royal Court, which determined all civil and criminal cases except prosecutions for, for treason. And that assembly is responsible for making new laws and regulations they approve the amount of public money spent by the states of jersey every year they approve the amount of tax to be raised they hold ministers to account um, and they're currently made up of 49 sitting states members 12 of whom are constables of the 12 parishes that we have on the island we don't have any official party politics in jersey despite their best efforts to form parties at the last recent elections that we had um, about a month ago uh, most members of the assembly are independent so clearly keeping 49 elected representatives engaged in data protection is an enormous challenge but it's also absolutely necessary to ensure they all know their part in helping to protect the people that they represent now supporting the state's assembly is our local government the government of jersey um, they're the civil servants that, that support the politicians and our office whilst independent and separate from government still has a degree of accountability to the government of Jersey and we report quarterly to the Minister for Economic Development, Tourism, Sport and Culture in respect of the small grant we receive from government each year towards our operating costs. But of course government of Jersey is also our biggest customer and the largest data controller in the island so we also have relationships with many of the departments within the government of Jersey and in particular the larger high-risk departments such as health, social security, education and revenue. So maintaining those relationships is critical to helping us improve the quality of service delivery by, um, by the government to the public and ensuring compliance with the data protection law at the same time. 
And one good example of successful collaboration between our office and government of Jersey was during the COVID-19 pandemic and during, particularly during the first lockdown. Um, there was a need to share health data as part of track and trace initiatives, plus the development of a COVID-19 alert app. And that required significant collaborative work from our office and government to ensure the success of both those initiatives and a rapid, a rapid response to protect the public in terms of both their health and also their, their privacy. And similarly, one of my um, roles is to ensure that we engage effectively with the business sector in Jersey. And you may already be aware that the financial services sector in Jersey is one of the major sources of income for the island, and our economy relies heavily on that sector. It's a regular engagement with Jersey Finance and the Jersey Financial Services Commission is, again, critical to ensure we're across all relevant departments and understanding um, uh, of, of the issues that, uh, uh, that they face. Now, adequacy with the European Commission and international data transfers are among some of the hot topics that we regularly discuss with them. And in terms of smaller businesses, which represent probably the largest portion of Jersey's business environment, we work very closely with Jersey Business and the Jersey Chamber of Commerce to make sure our voice is heard. And again, to make sure that we're aware of any data protection issues uh, any of those smaller businesses are currently facing. And then finally, we have an emerging technology sector, largely thanks to the work of Digital Jersey, and they're the body that's set up to attract new technology businesses to the island and to promote Jersey as a perfect testbed environment for such businesses. So we have a very close working relationship with them, and currently we're co-sponsoring a, a project with them on establishing the uh, viability of data trusts and data foundations on the island. Now Jersey might be a, a tiny jurisdiction and uh, on the map you can see in front of you it's not even visible but one of my primary roles has been to put Jersey on the international data protection map as a progressive, innovative and forward-thinking regulatory authority. So we've secured membership to the Global Privacy Assembly, uh, we sit on a number of their working groups focusing on areas such as artificial intelligence, digital education, uh, humanitarian aid and international enforcement cooperation and I also chair the working group on data sharing for the public good looking at pragmatic approaches to data sharing where there is a, a public benefit. We also keep a close eye on international developments in Asia-Pacific countries, in Africa, South America, California and Canada recognizing that the current gold standard framework of GDPR might not always be the standard that should, we should be striving to achieve. So I have to make sure that we interact regularly with our international colleagues, uh, other data protection authorities around the world, so that we in Jersey can be at the forefront of policy direction and law reform, as well as learning from the experiences of other DPAs to help our own work processes. I've always said uh, long, long before becoming uh, information commissioner that the most important ingredient of a successful organization is the people. My job is made much easier thanks to the incredible team of passionate and driven and highly talented people that I have working for me. And the last four years since the implementation of GDPR and our new data protection laws in Jersey has seen unprecedented growth uh, while we create a, a robust and fit for purpose effective regulatory authority. We've increased our headcount from four to 20 over that time with the 21st due to join us in Q4 this year, taking on the, the currently vacant role of Director of Regulatory Strategy. And building this team has been one of 
my career highlights, recruiting the right people for the right roles, always with a close eye on how they will add value to our cause and increase our effective, effectiveness as a, as a regulator. And for me, it's not just about the qualifications or the skill set they possess, but also what kind of human being they are and whether collectively as a team they will connect. It only takes one person to destabilize all the good work you've done building a strong team. So the selection process has always had to be a very careful one. And I'm also conscious that the workplace needs to be a happy one to foster good productivity. So a team that gets on and works well together will no doubt produce the best results. And it's not just about the people within my organization. My job is, is to protect people, quite simple. So as information commissioner, it's absolutely vital that I listen to the public, hear their issues and, and concerns, act on their complaints and, and treat them in the same way that I would expect to be treated if I'd suffered a personal data breach or experienced some kind of unfairness in the handling of my personal information. So the public are my absolute priority above everything else. They are the very reason we are here as a regulatory authority. So in everything we do, we ask the question, how is the public benefiting? And if they're not, then we simply don't do it. Being a, a public authority, and in particular being the face of it as information commissioner inevitably means dealing with the media. And during my time in public service, I've learned that the media can be both your best friend and your worst enemy, sometimes at the same time. Um, so we often engage with the media so we can promote our cause and use them to help raise awareness of data protection and information rights. But alternatively, they will contact our office from time to time looking for an interview or a quote from me in response to perhaps a, a public issue that involves privacy or data protection. And either way, I'm very happy to oblige and I never decline to comment as you often see in some areas of the, of the public sector. And the reason for that is because I think that many people see that as an avoidance tactic or worse, some kind of conspiracy theory uh, or some conspiracies going on. So my view is that all publicity is actually good publicity if it means that the more people who know about you and, and what you stand for um, are, are listening to it. So in a, in a very much a, a whistle-stop tour, those are some of the, the things an information commissioner does. It's a wide-ranging job. Um, it, at, uh, as I said, I wear many hats, uh, often spinning many plates at once, but the key is to try your best not to let any of them fall off. But in reality, of course, a plate or two will hit the floor at some point, and any information commissioner who thinks they can do everything is simply living in a fantasy land, in my view. Uh, resources, time, and money will always be tight, bearing in mind it's public money that we're funded by, and you can only do the best you can with what you have. Um, I've always firmly believed that. Um, choosing the priorities that will bring the greatest benefit to the public of Jersey uh, will be always be my starting point. And as a commissioner, you have to be passionate about what you're trying to achieve. And, and I fundamentally agree with what Steve Jobs said, that my job is not to be easy on people. My job is, is to make them better. And, and similarly, I'll also agree with uh, Sir Richard Branson's philosophy of business. Even though I run a regulatory authority, I can say I'm very proud of what I've created over the last four years or so. I didn't take this job for an easy ride. I took it because I care passionately about privacy and the people that I'm here to protect. So thank you all very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And thank you also to the organizers for asking me to present to you today. I hope you've got a little bit of an insight into the scope of our role as data protection regulators and mine as, a, as an information commissioner. 
Um, please do feel free to um, explore our website and make use of the, the valuable resources that we've got on there. It's www.jerseyoic.org. And if you have any questions at all, you can of course ask me now in the Q&A that we're about to have, or you can always email my, email my team at communications, uh, communications at jerseyoic.org. Um, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you very much um, for that engaging and informative presentation, Paul. You certainly uh, do have a very varied and challenging role, which no doubt is very fulfilling as well. Um, so please do keep sending your questions in using the chat facility. Uh, to begin, uh, Dan Feeney has asked, what role could the ICO play in terms of consumer data rights for the UK or other, other jurisdictions? Um, he's pointed out Australia is enabling, enabling open finance CDR legislation, and it seems that the UK's um, version doesn't really empower the end user. That's a very good question, and I'm not sure if, I, if I'm going to be able to give you um, uh, a, a robust enough answer to that, because I think it's worth bearing in mind that, and, and then this is one of the reasons when I, I put up the international slide, <coughs> excuse me, that, um, that we, we need to sort of keep abreast of what's happening in, in all different areas of the world, because um, one, we can we can uh, pull some um, amazing ideas from some of those other authorities and, and some of those jurisdictions and the things they're doing. Um, uh, but also, um, uh, you know, th th those, as I said, GDPR isn't going to be, always be the gold standard. Um, th those developments in other jurisdictions can help shape policy, and it's it's my job as an information commissioner to um, try and influence our own politicians here, which in turn might be able to then. Um, uh, influence perhaps things going on in, in some of the other crown dependencies or smaller jurisdictions and, and you get this kind of snowball effect um, and I've seen that in in small countries like uh, um, uh, Gibraltar uh, some of the stuff they're doing in the um, um, uh, what we call data scraping environment which is some of these organizations like Cambridge Analytica which scrape data from the internet to sell on to for political gain and those kind of things um, there's some groundbreaking work taking place there um, similarly similarly here in Jersey as I said we're working with digital Jersey on things like data stewardship which nobody's ever done before and data trusts and they never they've never really found out a legal framework to make it work we have a trust industry here um, and there's potential that that could be leveraged to um, to promote uh, a data trust. Um, so, so again, I'm not sure um, uh, if I'm really answering the question, but but it's it's about particularly when you're a small jurisdiction, drawing in as much as you can from from everywhere else, with a view to try and trying to inform your own uh, policymakers and and influence those to to progress the island. Um, Obviously, I, I don't necessarily have any influence over the UK ICO, um, but we do talk regularly, and they do listen to the ideas and, and, um, and innovative kind of suggestions that some of the smaller jurisdictions um, uh, give. Hmm. Um, Clive Bullens asked, what's your top recommendations for protecting one's personal data? Do you mean as an individual or as a business? Uh, as an individual. Right, of course. I could speak for an hour just on that alone. Um, I, th I think my top tip, um, read the small print uh, and understand what the privacy policy of an organization is, is telling you. Um, 
and some of them, and I know this because we see that every day ourselves, some of the, some of those privacy policies can be very legalistic, uh, long-winded documents. But if you're in any doubt, ask. And, I, and, and that's one of the things that um, our uh, organisation does very well, is we try to empower the general public to not be afraid to ask. Um, and, and I've done it myself. Um, I remember going into um, our local airport, traveling to London, and, uh, and you've probably experienced this yourself, where you've, you've gone into um, uh, the duty-free section, you've bought your duty-free, and they say, oh, can I just get, scan your boarding pass? Um, and, and nobody really knows why they do that. Um, you just give your boarding pass, they scan it, and you take away your, your, your bottle of whiskey or whatever it is you've bought from duty-free. I, I never give my boarding pass because it's got more information on it than they need to know to be able to satisfy their requirements as a uh, for, for customs and excise, which is the real purpose of, of of wanting to scan your boarding pass. So I said, no, you just need to know that somebody has that's travelling to London has bought a bottle of X. And I often get met with, um, oh, that's what the policy says. Um, I don't really care what the policy says. It's up to you as an individual to determine what you are happy with trading of your personal information to uh, a third party um, and whether they have a legal basis to to request it. Um, and I think a lot of the time uh, organisations will hide behind smoke screens of other legislation because they say they need it and actually they don't. So never be afraid to ask the question. Um, and that's probably my top tip to you. That's um, really interesting. I didn't even think I thought you had to give your boarding pass to even get the duty free. Um, I would have never questioned it. Um, and I think a lot of us are guilty of not reading that small print as well. Um, Ashley Winton asks, are you concerned that you might be caught up by tension between the UK and the EU in respect of the EU's continuing recognition of the UK as an adequate country? Um, yes and no. <laughs> I don't often sit on the fence, but no, I think there's there's falls and against. Um, I mean, Jersey is independent from the UK. We we are a crown dependency, and we rely on the UK for certain constitutional matters. But um, for all intents and purposes, and, and certainly in terms of um, of data protection legislation, we are an independent jurisdiction. We have our own adequacy assessment um, from the European Commission. So so as as long as our legal framework here is is doing um what it's supposed to be doing and um uh you know it's seen by the european commission as providing a um adequate safeguards uh, for protecting the rights and freedoms of individuals in relation to their personal data then then i'm happy with that um if you're a jersey business um you are um at the at the moment uh, having to um rely on both european adequacy for Jersey and also UK adequacy because the UK have got their own adequacy regime and, and I'm, uh, I, I can say um, uh, that uh, we meet both standards so, so it's not a problem um, but it does produce some tension particularly with our own adequacy assessment because we are a crown dependency sometimes we get caught up in the politics of it and certainly that happened back in in 2006-7 when we were applying for adequacy the first time um, there was a dispute between um, um, the, the European Commission and, um, and the UK ICO's interpretation of personal data at the time. They thought it was too, uh, I, can't, I can't remember if they thought it was too narrow or they thought it was too wide uh, an interpretation. And, and because of that, 
our adequacy and that of Guernsey and the Isle of Man were put on hold. And we had to wait a, an awful long time, which did affect, uh, to, to some degree, um, the ability of Jersey businesses to, to uh, transfer personal data um, to um, um, non-EEA jurisdictions. So, so it is a bit of a yes and no. No in the respect that, that we were independent, but I'm fully aware that sometimes we can get caught up in, in that, um, that political mire. Hmm. And um, Michael Hoddy has asked, how effective do you feel GDPR has been? And do you see it being upgraded or a version two being created? That's, that's an excellent question. Um, how effective is GDPR? I think it's too early to tell, if, I, if I'm brutally honest, um, because it's, it's only been in four years. Um, the previous um, legislation we had in Jersey was uh, around from uh, what, 13 years, 20, 2005 to, uh, to 2018. Um, and even that, um, I think was um, probably only just getting to the stage where people were beginning to to, to understand it and, and realise how to apply it. I think the difficulty that we're in now is that um, technological advancement is is so rapid that the law will never keep up, um, and 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 that presents a problem. And and perhaps we need to be looking at at different types of of, of legal frameworks for, for protecting personal data and allowing as well innovation to happen and, uh, and you know and progress to be made as as individual nations and collectively uh, you know globally. Um, will I see see an update? Do I think I'll see an update? Absolutely, um, and I don't think we'll be waiting 13 years for it either. Um, as I said, and I've said a couple of times that you know, GDPR may not be the gold standard. Um, for the, for the future, um, you know, the Asia Pacific are um, producing some some groundbreaking um, uh, legal regimes over there. You've got the Californian um, version of, of GDPR. You've got even the UK looking to reform um, with their latest data protection bill um, their version of, of GDPR and, and with improvements as to how they think it could work better. So. Again, it's it's that horizon scanning for us um, in Jersey. Do we do we stick with GDPR or do we look to be progressive and go with, with a different gold standard? A, a lot of it, to be honest, will come down to who we, who we trade with the most uh, as a jurisdiction, um, which that kind of jars a bit with, with obviously my role, which is to protect the individual and protect their information. Um, so I think you will see change. How quickly? That'll be down to, to um, Europeans um, in terms of GDPR um, reforms. Um, and I think um, uh, you know the, the GDPR was on the horizon for um, six, seven years before it actually came into force. Um, and many commentators have already said, you know, when when we got to May the twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, it's already out of date. Um, <laughs> It's a difficult one to answer. I have my own private feelings on it, which I won't air in a in a public uh, forum. But um, um, I, I think we we need to constantly keep an eye on it and and constantly look to see where improvements can be made that are going to be to the benefit of the individual. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess you know, in a few years, there'll be so many more um, technological changes as well. We won't even know how to make something that's going to be suitable. Yeah. Um, another good question here from Clive Bullen. What are the biggest risks in the next few years that threaten the safety of personal and business data? 
Biggest risks? Well, I think most of them will centre around artificial intelligence because it, it is so wide and, and quantum computing as well, potentially. I'm not a, a, a technologist by any stretch, um, but the, the the thing that really concerns me, I guess, in terms of um, you know our personal freedoms is the ability of, of AI-driven um, platforms to um, to, to hold bias um, and to make decisions about individuals um, uh, w without really considering the, the bigger picture. Um, so, you know, th there's facial recognition technologies, there's audio recognition, there's augmented um, uh, reality. There, there's so many different things that come out of that umbrella of, of AI that, that um, trying to keep a, a, a across all of them and, and um, determine how, as a regulator, we are going to take a, a particular stance against um, each of those different types of technologies is, is, is going to be a huge challenge for us, but it's a critical one because, uh, and it's a critical one for global data protection authorities to understand and get to grips with, and, and we are, you know, it's part of that, the Global Privacy Assembly, those, those things are, are absolutely on the radar, but we're going to have to start Sort of making some quicker progress on on um, on what our position is going to be with those kind of technologies, if we're going to still um, fulfil our primary role of, of protecting um, the public and protecting their, their personal data. So that's probably, without doubt, the the biggest challenge. And um, Dan Feeney's asked, what enforcement powers does the Jersey ICO have when informed of money laundering or tax evasion? Um, in terms of um, money laundering and tax evasion, either of those would fall outside of, of our regulatory remit unless um, there was a data protection um, uh, element to it, in which we would probably work with the, the relevant regulator. But anti-money laundering um, will be dealt with by states of Jersey Police or the Jersey Financial Services Commission, tax evasion by the tax authorities. Um, you know, our, our remit covers um, uh, non-compliance with data protection law and freedom of information law. What's the um, what's the punishment for different punishment levels for non-compliance? So they they're wide-ranging. So uh, at, a, at the lower level, um, we can um, uh, issue uh, reprimands or orders. Um, they used to be known as enforcement notices under the old the old regime. Now now it's more of a, a public rec reprimand or a requirement from us to perform a set of tasks to, to make sure they get up to compliance. And that will have to be done within a, a certain time frame. Um, we can issue public statements. So we've done that a few times where, um, where uh, uh, an organization has um, perhaps repeatedly um, uh, breached data protection law and, uh, and we've gone public with that, with a, with a public statement. Um, uh, admonishing their, their behavior um, essentially and that's that normally accompanies um, or can accompany a, a, a reprimand or an order. Um, at, at the top end um, we have the ability to, to fine um, or at least the authority does. Um, I don't as an information commissioner I can recommend to our authority that, uh, that, a, that a fine should be considered and that's assessed against certain criteria and that, that'll be up to a, a maximum of 10,000 um, English pounds. Um, so, so the, the the range of powers we have in in terms of enforcement uh, is 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 quite wide. Um, 
you, you won't see the level of, of fining here in Jersey as you do in the UK or say uh, Ireland, who, you know, because they, they have um, big organizations uh, like you know, the technology giants, Facebook, Google, Microsoft sitting in their jurisdictions. So uh, those are the ones where you're gonna see the big fines or some of the big airlines, for example. We don't have those live, you know, residing in Jersey, so we wouldn't necessarily take action against one of those big players. We might piggyback off, off of those with, with questions um, uh, and, and perhaps uh, some public statements or, or, or um, public declarations of our disapproval um, on that. Um, but we wouldn't get involved in, in necessarily in the actual finding. Um, we can't, it's outside of our, our powers. Do you think those, um, you know, punishments go far far enough as a deterrent for businesses? Oh, that, that's, a, that's a really tough question. Um, again, I, ha I have my own feelings on, on the effectiveness of fining. Um, I certainly promote this organisation as focusing more on being outcomes-based and outcomes-based regulator. Um, ultimately, we want to have the best outcome for the individual that's suffered a, a, a breach. Um, my issue with with fining is that um, all it will do is potentially fine, uh, you know, punish the the, the taxpayer, um, whether that be a, a, you know public or private sector, um, because fees will go up as a result. Um, in the private sector, um, organisations can take out in certain insurance policies to to help um, lessen the impact of a, a fine on their business. And you know, we're not out to close businesses down. Um, but at the same time, they, they've got to know that if they break the law, then then there's going to be a heavy sanction applied. Um, you know, there's there's different mechanisms um, uh, across in the US and even in 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 um, our own jurisdiction, say in, in financial services industry, for example, um, senior directors are personally liable if if they if they um, break um, anti-money laundering legislation, for example. Um, you know. Perhaps those kind of sanctions might be more appropriate because it acts as a, a tougher incentive for, for the um, for the individual who's responsible for making the decisions or whose team are responsible, um, rather than punishing the whole organisation itself, which waters down a fine. Um, so, so we have to have some kind of punitive mechanism within the law. It, you, you wouldn't be a, a, an effective regulator if you did. Uh, my question is whether the fining is the appropriate one in, in this kind of environment. Um, mm. and, and I think, again, globally, we probably need to look at um, what other options there are or, or, or what, what is going to provide a better outcome for, for both um, uh, the individual and for the uh, organisation concerned. Because, again, for the organisation, our focus is on, on wanting them to be compliant with the legislation. Um, you know. It, yeah, there's that, definitely that's, that's what we want. <laughs> yeah, definitely a bigger conversation to be had there. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Paul. It's been a pleasure to listen to you this afternoon. And uh, once again, thank you to our wonderful sponsors for making these webinars possible. And equally important, thank you to you, our audience, um, for your time and contributions today. Uh, we'll be continuing to provide a comprehensive and diverse range of webinars over August. So do keep an eye on the website and register under forthcoming events. And you can even join a webinar from your smartphone or listen on your podcast app. So you can use some of your holiday um, pool or sun bathing time productively. 
thank you very much and take care. Thank you, Charlotte.